My name is Sophie Nitislowski, and you're listening to the Root and STEM podcast, a podcast exploring issues and stories in STEAM education. On this episode of the Root and STEM podcast, we explore how tech and data can be used to improve urban ecosystems. My name is Sophie Nitislowski. I am a PhD candidate in urban forestry at the University of British Columbia. And I'm particularly interested in the intersection of technology and smart cities and urban forestry and just generally the management of urban ecosystems and cities. Generally speaking, urban forestry is the discipline involved with managing trees in cities. And that can involve a whole bunch of stuff. It can involve, you know, Um, understanding the urban forest resource that we have. So, you know, what kinds of trees are growing and how can we plant more? And when we do plant them, how can we maintain them appropriately? Um, It could also involve monitoring and planning. So are there some spaces in cities that maybe need more trees than others? Are there some spaces where trees are, you know, struggling more? And so beyond that, too, there's also an element of conservation. So sometimes we end up with really old and really beautiful and large trees. How can we ensure that they are providing us the benefits that they can, you know, into the future? And then how can we also make sure that we can replace them adequately when the time comes? So there's a whole kind of host of actions and a whole host of kind of strategies involved in that. And uh, on the other side of the coin, and it may seem a little bit paradoxical, um, smart cities are really about using data and connected technologies to enhance the quality of life of citizens. There are lots of definitions of smart cities, actually, but that's kind of the one that the government of Canada has decided to go with. And um, so in terms of the intersection of smart cities and urban forestry, I might argue that urban forestry is really about ensuring that trees and natural ecosystems in cities provide benefits to people. And so when it comes to maybe a smart cities approach, it's about figuring out how data and connected technologies might help us manage trees, associated vegetation and natural ecosystems in cities so that the services and the benefits that they provide to us, but also to all other living creatures in cities is fulfilled. I think a lot of cities in Canada right now want to consider themselves smart Um, just because, you know, it's kind of a new buzzword and there's potentially a lot of kind of like funding and politics that come into play here. And as you, you know, may be aware, in 2017, the government of Canada launched the Smart Cities Challenge. And so that, you know, created an atmosphere where cities wanted to call themselves smart and, you know, participate in this and think of new ways in which they could use data and technology at their disposal to kind of enhance already what they do. Um, I would say really broadly, what a smart city is, is there are actually like quite a few conceptions and quite a few ways we can look at it. Any city can really call themselves smart. Um, It's just a question of kind of like where you find yourself on that spectrum. But really, it's about whether you're harnessing data and technologies in ways that are kind of like enhancing the delivery of your municipal services. So that can include anything from, you know, waste to land use to water to, you know, green infrastructure. Um, And so I wouldn't say that there's explicitly kind of a clear definition and whether this city is smart and this city is not. It's 
a little bit maybe more of kind of whether it's a branding exercise or not, but it's a little bit broader than that. And I think that there are many ways of kind of conceptualizing it and looking at it depending on on the context that you're in. As a PhD student, we have our hands in probably a lot of pies, but generally speaking, I focus on research day to day. And my research can span anything from doing, you know, desktop work or like literature reviews, policy reviews and analysis to actual field work. And to give you a couple of examples of what I've worked on right now, um, I've done some literature reviews looking at how urban forests are being managed from a smart city perspective. So that involves, you know, going through databases and reading academic articles. It also involves looking at different policies. And these are published, you know, by cities or by governments and looking at how they are writing about urban forestry and perhaps climate change and smart cities and data and technology. So that's one big piece of my work. And another big piece is actually looking at how um, this all looks in practice. So I'm very interested in applied research and I'm very interested in looking at how um, you know, what I find from these literature reviews actually apply in the real world. And so we've been engaged in a partnership with a telecommunications company here at UBC, where we're actually piloting um, some different technologies out in the field to look at how they might apply to urban forestry. And one of these technologies that I've been particularly involved in is drones. So um, I've spent a few months flying drones across different types of urban forests in Vancouver to get a sense of how this, you know, emerging and smart technology might play a role in managing urban ecosystems and how practitioners might be interested in using it, you know, from both a smart city perspective, but also from an urban forestry perspective. This drone work is part of this larger partnership like I said, with this telecommunications company that we're working on, and we're piloting a couple of different technologies. One of them is drones. The other is tree and ground-based sensors to monitor data around soil moisture and tree sway. And another is looking at um, smartphone location data. So understanding on a big scale, you know, anonymous aggregated data, how people might be moving through cities and how many people might be using green spaces. That's become kind of particularly important during COVID and beyond, you know, there's this increasing recognition that green spaces provide a whole host of benefits to people and ensuring that people have access to these spaces and also that, you know, there's equitable access, you know, that all diverse community members have um, access to spaces that are important for mental and physical health is a part of that as well. And so in terms of privacy, of course, you know, that is definitely at the forefront of people's minds when it comes to thinking about smart cities. And there are ways in which we can, you know, ensure that data, whether it's used or collected, is done in, you know, a transparent and open way. I think that that's paramount. And just to use, for example, drones as an example, you know, there are ways to fly drones so that you do not, you know, collect information on individual people. And really, really simply, for example, you can fly it very high so that there's no identifying information. There are also ways in which you can kind of build in algorithms so that important information is, you know, blanked out or blurred out. Um, and then similarly, you know, in terms of any kind of location-based data, you can aggregate data and you can make sure that you can't get at individual information based on that. 
Um, but that being said, I think that it is a key concern and it's something that municipalities should really think about, you know, when they want to either, you know, adopt a particular tool or technology or use kind of data, you know, be cautious and think about the kind of civic value that's being created when you want to use that tool for municipal service delivery. Urban forests and more broadly green spaces are what we might call multifunctional landscapes, which means that they provide lots of different services and benefits to people. So not only do they contribute to climate change adaptation, so for example, trees cool the air and they provide shade, um, but they're also you know, aesthetic parts of the environment. They, they beautify our landscapes, which can be quite important when it comes to you know, behaviors and decisions that people make about where they might wanna move through a city, whether they might wanna take active transportation versus driving their cars. Um, beyond that as well, you know, trees act as placemakers. They, you know, connect us to uh, the neighborhoods and even the places where we live, which is important, you know, from a cultural sense, from a spiritual sense. And beyond what they provide to people, trees and urban forests and green spaces also provide benefits to other living things in cities, um, biodiversity, habitat creation. These are all incredibly important parts of healthy and resilient cities. And to go back to this kind of human element in terms of what smartphone data can provide, well, understanding A, how many people use different types of green spaces can give us an idea of maybe what attracts people to green spaces. Is it that they like to see larger, more mature trees? Do they like to see different types of trees? Do they maybe like to see lots of open space? Or is it really just the amenities and spaces that people are looking for? You know, these have important implications for planning and decision making and can just give us that little bit of more fine scale information about what really works for, you know, getting people to these spaces and therefore like providing the benefits that these spaces can give to people. Um, and, you know, Another note to this location data is that we can potentially, depending on the data, also get a sense of you know, how far people are traveling to get to green spaces, which brings in an equity piece. You know, are some people traveling further than others? Are some spaces more accessible to some people versus others? And I think that these are really important questions when it comes to broadly city planning and ensuring that you know, key benefits that green spaces and urban forests provide are available to everyone as they should be. What does a healthy and successful green space look like in a city? I will say, let's say from a biological perspective, there are you know, ways in which trees can be healthier than others. You know, they need adequate soil, they need an adequate growing environment um, they need to perhaps be exposed to some urban stress. It's impossible to go without, but not too much. Um, and, you know, they need to be kind of provided an environment, whether that's through maintenance or simply through, you know, an adequate space to grow where they can thrive into the future. Um, you know, trees provide the most benefits to people and other kind of living creatures in cities when they reach maturity. And that takes a lot of time. And so I will say that a healthy urban forest, really what it needs is it needs time to grow and to achieve that level 
um, where it can deliver adequate services. And in terms of, you know, a successful or perhaps a beneficial forest, it's also important to think of the human angle. And so a successfully perhaps planted or designed or maintained urban forest, I think necessarily also involves having a, an adequate kind of supply for everyone who might need it. And so thinking again about that equity piece, it's just as important to think about, you know, as much as we might have a healthy urban forest um, from an ecological perspective, is everyone able to access that? I think that's a really important component of a, a successful, at least, urban forest as well. So it's true that our work, for the most part, has focused very much on kind of a more dense urban environment. But these types of tools and technologies that we're piloting absolutely have merit to think about in kind of more rural or remote environments. And it's also not to say that urban forests aren't relevant there too. There's lots of work looking at kind of the urban wildland interface and how we can better manage green spaces and, you know, natural ecosystems at this, you know, kind of development interface where, um, you know, people might be interacting with natural environments in different ways and there might be different stressors involved and a few that come to mind, for example, are, you know, wildfires. Um, and so some of the tools and technologies that we've been piloting actually have been applied to the urban wildland interface. I can think, for example, of drones, which post-fire have been used to map, um, you know, fuel loads and different kind of responses to fire when it comes to the natural ecosystem. And in terms of, you know, location data from smartphones, there's potentially some applications around, you know, trail usage. So how many people are using certain trails and is there potentially risk involved when it comes to some of these environmental stressors like wildfire? Um, and so the interface of kind of the urban wildland, I think, is a really interesting place where some of these tools can be piloted to ensure that there is kind of this healthy balance between people and nature. the STEM world, so, you know, the science and technology world can still be quite difficult for a lot of different groups, and I, I appreciate that. And I would say that, you know, one of the most important things to do is try and find mentors like you. Um, so whether they be from, you know, backgrounds or, you know, groups that you identify with, that you kind of understand, maybe, that can sometimes be difficult, especially if you're from kind of an underrepresented group. I find that social media can actually be a really great place to look for like-minded people. Um, for example, I just came across um, a Twitter account for, you know, women flying drones, which is, you know, an underrepresented group in this area. And so that's great. You know, I've already connected with a whole bunch of really cool people who enjoy doing what I do. Um, and so looking for those people, and I think that, you know, technology can actually help you do that. It provides a medium to, you know, find people. The internet, you know, it can be a scary place, but it can also be a wonderful place in terms of connecting people um, that might not have otherwise connected. And I will also say to aspiring scientists that uh, it's okay to feel stupid sometimes. It's okay to fail and it's okay to not know what you want to do. And it's okay to not be able to solve a problem that you're looking to solve in that moment. Um, and so this may sound a bit cliche, but, you know, taking a step back and recognizing that, you know, everyone is a learner to some degree and that it's okay to be in that process, I would say embrace it 
and you know find a really great support system that can help you through that and recognize that you know it's not the end you're always going to be learning something new and it's okay in the moment to not really know yet either you know how to solve a particular problem at the time or even what you want to do later on um so perhaps cliche but it's something that i you know even at the phd level and probably beyond have to keep reminding myself For more about science and technology, check out the Root and Stem magazine at pinoa.com or more episodes of the Root and Stem podcast, available to download on your streaming platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google.